All right, well, hey, thanks so much for being here at church today. It's such a blessing to get to worship the Lord with you and to dive into Philippians, which we're going to do today. So if you want to turn in your Bible, it's to Philippians chapter 1. We'll, we'll dig in there in a moment. But before we do jump into the message, I just want to honor again, I know we've talked a lot about BBS, but thank you so much to all the volunteers that gave so many hours last week and even the weeks prior. Like that set that they built, that took hours to build that castle set it's amazing. I'm going to plan it later today. I'm kidding, but it's a great set. They, they put so much time into making it a great week. So if that was you, could you stand to your feet if you volunteered at BBS at all, even if it was for an hour or two? Stand right now. I just want to give you an appreciation clap here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Awesome. And there's more, but they're in the kids' wing. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for giving of your time and your schedule to invest in our kids. I know personally as a dad, I'm so grateful for you and your investment in our children. And I'm really grateful too that Jane didn't cry during the song today. So if you remember at Christmas, she had a little bit of a breakdown. My daughter was the one in the middle here just going really hard. The tongue was out because we prayed. We we're like, Lord, help her not to have a breakdown this time. Help her to, uh, to do well. And she had a great song there. So I'm just so proud right now. So that's good stuff. But uh yeah, so anyways, I'm excited to dive into uh, this week's sermon. So we've been in this series for, or for three weeks now. So I just want to refresh your memory before we dig into the next few verses. So the book of Philippians is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi that he had started. So he planted this church, he had left, and now he's writing a, a letter to them to give them some encouragement. And we've seen that the church actually kicked off with like three dramatic conversions. So we saw that this... Uh, this uh, businesswoman came to Christ, and then a slave girl was delivered from a demon and came to Christ, and then a Roman jailer came to Christ. And those are the three people that helped start the church in Philippi through Paul's preaching and leadership. And then the gospel, it just did some powerful work in the city as they were in this hostile context, but they're able to, to build this church in this context. And Paul, he wrote this letter about 15 years after he planted the church. So so the church started, and then 15 years has went by, and now he's writing this letter to give them some encouragement to continue to grow in their faith. And in the first few verses, we saw that this church is still healthy. It's still vibrant. It's actually probably Paul's favorite church in the New Testament that he writes to. He loves this church. They're, they're truly living into the way of Jesus, and they're following him faithfully in their context. And we saw that, that Paul was actually in prison as he wrote this letter. But, but somehow, in the midst of being in prison, he was able to have great joy. And last week, we saw that the reason he was able to have joy in the midst of being in prison was he saw that the gospel was advancing through his imprisonment. So, so there were a few ways it was advancing, but, but two specific ways I want to point out. First, the gospel was advancing because he got to share the gospel with the Roman guards that he was chained to. Okay, so he's chained to these Roman guards, and they have to sit there and listen to him proclaim the gospel. So he's like, that's a great way to advance the gospel, right? And then the other way is his courage actually emboldened the church. So the, so the church outside of the prison cell saw his courage in the midst of his imprisonment, and they were emboldened in their faith. They're like, if Paul can do it, we can surely do it. We can surely preach the gospel. So, so Paul had joy because the gospel was advancing in the midst of his imprisonment. He was concerned primarily with the gospel advancing and that was still happening. But now this week, we're gonna see another reason that he was able to have joy in the midst of his imprisonment. So let's uh, take a look at it here in verse 18b. He says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers 
in the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, so the Holy Spirit, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored or glorified in my body, whether that be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, then that means fruitful labor for me, and yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to, is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory or to boast in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Okay, so the sermon title uh, this morning, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, is Joy in Jesus. Joy in Jesus. All right, let's pray in this, or pray for this, and we'll dive in. So Lord, we thank you so much for this morning and for our children and our VBS volunteers, our, our whole Sent Kids team, and the work they put in. And God, we thank you for your word. I pray that your word would come alive today and that it would pierce our hearts. That I, I pray that your word would encourage those who need to be encouraged this morning and it would challenge those who need to be challenged. Holy Spirit, have your way. We're not looking for lofty words of wisdom. We're not looking for, for just some more teaching ideas, but, but God, we're looking for a demonstration of your spirit's power. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to have your way in this place. Speak to us. God, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people prayed, amen. All right, <laughs> so, so last Sunday, my family celebrated Father's Day, and we do this every year. After church, we'll head down to my, uh, to my parents' house in Cedar Rapids. They have a pool, so if you wanna swim in a pool, just talk to my parents. They'd be glad to have you over. It's usually pretty warm in there, too, which is nice. But anyways, we go down to their pool, and, and we have dinner. We had this barbecue place down there. It's very good. So anyways, we told our kids before church that, after church, we'd be headed to uh, Nana and Papa's house. And they were ecstatic, right? They love Nana and Papa's house because they get whatever they want at Nana and Papa's house. And there's so many toys from my, or from my childhood there that they get to play with. And it's just a great place to hang out if you're a little kid. And when we finally got on the road after church, uh, the joy and expectation in the car was tangible. It was like bursting out of the car. Our son Abram, he's three years old. He, he struggles to talk. He's a little bit delayed in his speech, but somehow he was pulling off some phrases in the car because he was so excited. He, he's like, Papa's house, Papa's house. And at one point, I heard him say, excited to go to Papa's house. I'm like, never even heard you string like three words together. Now you're saying, I'm excited to go to Papa's house today. I'm like, what is going on, right? So, so even though it took an hour to get there, the kids kept this level of excitement the whole way down. Every five minutes, Jane was like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? I'm like, no, we're still not there. We're in the middle of a cornfield. We're not there yet, okay? But the thing is, when you know that there's something good in your future, it's easy to be joyful, right? It's easy to be joyful even in the midst of the journey to get there. And I think we could all use a little bit of that joy that my kids had. In our world today, and just as we saw, right, as the kids were singing, we need a little bit of that joy. I, I think we're struggling to have that kind of joy in 2023. There are so many things that, that threaten to steal our joy. Just turn on the news for more than a few moments and you'll find something to depress you in the matter of those moments, right? Uh, it could be the political divisions or the corruption. It could be mass shootings and violent crime, inflation. It could be the wars around the world. There's plenty to be sorrowful about in the world. Like the news, I feel like the news anchors are like, hey, if you don't have something to already be sad about, let's share something else with you today. 
And not to mention all the, the things in our own lives that threaten to steal our joy. It could be relational struggles. It could be financial instability or sickness or losing a family member. And a silent killer of joy in our culture right now is actually the, the amount of time we spend on our screens. So just this week, I saw a study, and this is tragic, that, that said that 49% of teenagers, when asked, they said that they do not enjoy their life. Like 49% do not enjoy their life. And before the early 2010s, which is when the smartphone became popularized, right? Everyone has a smartphone after 2010, essentially. Uh, before that, fewer than 20% of teenagers said that they did not enjoy life. There's an obvious correlation there. The more time we spend on screens, the less joyful we are. That's a 29% increase of depressed teens in just a few years. I believe we're facing a new Great Depression, and we need a revival of joy. We need that. We desperately need a revival of joy in our culture. And thankfully, Paul's letter to the Philippians, it kind of offers us a, a glimpse or a blueprint of how we can experience this revival of joy. Keep in mind, he's writing this letter from a prison cell, and yet joy is the dominant theme of the letter. Prison and joy, those two things don't seem like they go together. But somehow, they do for Paul. So joy is used five times as a noun and 11 times as a verb in this tiny letter. Okay, so he uses the word joy or rejoice in 1 4, 1 18, 1 25, 2 2, 2 17, 2 18, 2 28, 2 29, 3 1 4, 1 4 4, and 4 10. Come on, despite the hell of his prison cell, he had an incorruptible joy. As J.R.R. Tolkien, the writer of The Lord of the Rings, famously quipped, he had joy beyond the walls of this world. Okay, so, so Tolkien, he, he coined this phrase when he was making the point that in fairy tales, no matter how bad things get, there's always this, this possibility of a sudden and miraculous turn of events, right? It could be horrible. It could be like, hey, the world is ending, but we always know there's a possibility, there's an expectation that, that joy or change or deliverance is gonna break through those walls of that terrible situation, there's going to be deliverance from the terror. We know that when we watch movies or fairy tales. In a sense, Paul, he lived as if, as if he was living inside of a fairy tale. Even though things got very bad for him, he was able to have a constant joy because he knew deliverance is coming. I have good news this morning. That same joy that Paul had is also available to us. We can have joy beyond the walls of this world. We can. And we can have joy no matter what we face. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm not talking about a happiness that's based on temporal and fleeting circumstances. I'm talking about an indestructible, defiant joy that can stand in the worst of our circumstances. Paul's example shows us that this joy is available to us. But in order to access this joy, we have to see how Paul accessed it. How exactly was Paul able to have joy beyond the walls of his prison cell? Well, last week we saw that he had joy because he knew that the gospel was advancing in the midst of his imprisonment, so that's one reason. He had joy because he saw the purpose in his pain. Right? He's like, I'm going through it, but good things are happening through this. God is working through this. It goes further than that, though. Let's take a look at verses 18 and 19 again. He says, yes. And I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that this will turn out for my deliverance. 
Okay, so Paul rejoices because he knows that Jesus will deliver him. And the word for deliverance, it can refer to salvation or vindication. At first glance, we would assume that he's saying that he knows that Jesus will physically set him free from his prison cell, but that's not what he's saying. In verse 21, he says this. He says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ or the king will be honored in my body, whether that be by life or by death. So Paul says that he knows or he knows that he will be delivered and then says that this could happen by life or by death. Okay, so deliverance for Paul was not, it was not limited to being physically released from prison. It could also be getting to be with Jesus for eternity. It could be death that actually was his deliverance. Okay, the important thing to notice here is Paul's concern was not with reversing his earthly situation. His concern, get this, was Christ being honored in his body. That was his concern in verse 20, that Christ will be honored in my body. Okay, his concern was not an easy life. It was not everything going perfectly. It was not personal comfort. It was bringing honor and glory to Jesus the King. If he lives, he'll bring honor to Jesus as it will be a testimony to God's power. And if he dies, he'll bring honor to Jesus as he will die on behalf of him. Either way, Christ will be honored. Christ will be magnified. He will get glory. In a sense, that was the true deliverance for Paul. Paul was able to rejoice because he knew that Jesus would be magnified in whatever his circumstances ended up being. In verse 21, he goes on, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Okay, so for Paul, Jesus was everything. He was everything. That's where his joy was found. It was Jesus alone. Jesus, if I live, Christ. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus was everything for Paul. His joy was found in Jesus. As I studied this text this week, my heart kept going back to this prayer from St. Patrick. Okay, so St. Patrick, we have St. Patrick's Day, which really has nothing to do with the real St. Patrick, but that's besides the point. He was a famous saint, obviously, right? And the things people do on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, but, uh, but this prayer of St. Patrick, it just was burning in my heart. So I just want to read it to you and just kind of pray it in your heart. As I'm reading it. He prayed, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. That was the heart of Paul. To live is Christ. His entire life was about Jesus. He explains more of what he means by this in the following verses. In verse 22, he says, if I am to live in the flesh, then that means fruitful labor for me. And yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. Do I want to live or, or do I want to die? It's just a weird thing he's going through here. But anyways, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So if by God's grace, Paul got to keep on living, it would surely not be for his personal comfort, but to further the mission of God. 
It would be for fruitful labor. If he died, it would be a privilege to suffer on Christ's behalf and be with him. That's where his joy was found. Whether he lived or died, Jesus would get glory. And both of these options were somehow enticing for him. And so much so that he could not decide which he preferred. And then when he did decide, he said, I'd rather die. He had a desire to continue his ministry, but also a desire which was a common desire in the early church. Like this was common. People wanted to die on behalf of Jesus. Like they wanted that glory, right? So he had this, this competing desire here. In the end, he's confident that he will stay in the body and not die just yet. He tells us why in verse 25 and 26. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for a very specific purpose, for your progress and joy. There's that joy word again. He's like, I'm gonna live so I can help you guys have more joy in the faith. I need to help you get your joy levels up. Like Philippians, you need to be even more joyful. I need to help you with, with your joy in Jesus because you ain't having enough joy. I'm gonna stay and help you get that joy. And so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory or to boast, it's the same word, in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Okay, so Paul, at the end of the day, he believed that he would be physically delivered to help the Philippians and surely the other churches make more progress in their faith. He believed that his deliverance would give the churches reason to boast in Jesus Christ. It would be a testimony of Jesus' power. His physical deliverance would bring Jesus' glory in the hearts and the lives of the Philippians. Okay, so with all this in mind, Paul's joy was not found in his circumstances, but in Christ, the one who held his circumstances in his hand. His joy was Jesus. And this gives us a blueprint for how we can access joy beyond the walls of this world. The only way we can have the kind of unshakable joy that Paul had is if we have our faith in the same unshakable Jesus that Paul put his faith in. Okay, so if we want joy that doesn't go up and down with our situation, we need to make Jesus our primary desire. He needs to be our reason for living. And we need to put all our hope and all our joy, all our faith in someone who doesn't change, in someone whose love and power does not fluctuate. And the reason why we can't seem to have consistent joy in our current cultural moment is we're obsessed with the things of the world. We're trying to find our joy in shakeable things. And we desire the temporal over the eternal. Okay, for example, we often try to find our joy in money. Because of this, our joy increases when times are good and decreases when times are tough. Or we try to find our joy in our families. Because of this, joy increases when we're connected and loving one another, and it decreases when there's tension and distance. Or we try to find our joy in relationships or in sex, and because of this, it increases when our marriage is going well and things are strong, or when we have a significant other, and it decreases when our marriage is struggling and we're single. If we want steady, rock-solid joy, we gotta find it in someone who's not shaken by this world. And the only person who fits that bill is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Our entire lives must be about Jesus, and they must be all about him having his way in and through us, we can have joy beyond the walls of this world when our primary passion is Jesus and his glory. That's gotta be our desire. That's gotta be our primary passion. That's gotta be what gets us excited in the morning and what we think about when we go to bed is bringing Jesus Christ, the Son of God, glory. Okay, so Paul's ability to love Jesus 
and bring him glory was not dependent upon his earthly circumstances. He could bring Jesus glory in death or in life, and there was nothing that the Romans could do to take that away. Glory was coming for Jesus either way. His joy was secure. Okay, so with that said, I believe that, that for many of us, we want that secure joy that Paul had. We want that defiant joy that Paul had. In order to have that joy, though, we need to have that same desire for Jesus that Paul had. I think we want the joy without the desire for Jesus. We're like, hey, I really want that joy that he had, but I don't really want to give Jesus my life. I'd like to kind of do my own thing and then still get the benefits of the gospel. If you're struggling to have a secure and consistent joy, again, I'm not referring to happiness. I'm not referring to everything going well. Paul surely had heartache and pain and sorrow and all that. I'm referring to this joy, this confidence in Jesus. If you're struggling to have that, it may be that your primary desire is not Jesus and his glory, but something else. Maybe your primary desire is comfort or personal pleasure or the things of this world, and you're trying to find your life here on earth. And Jesus, he's saying you can only find it in him. You're trying to find it. You're like, ah, oh, I'm trying so hard. I want to find my life here, but, but you can't find it here. In Mark 8, Jesus said, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel or the good news, you will save it. If you want to find joy, you've got to lose your life. You've got to make it your chief passion to bring Jesus glory. Is Jesus your passion? Only you can really answer that question. Is he your fire, your desire, your passion? Is he your joy? Are you able to say with integrity to live as Christ and to die as gain? Or do you just like say that because it's like the Christian thing to say, but, but no, do you actually mean that? Does your heart back up that statement? To live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay, so Gordon Fee, he's a commentator. When he was speaking of Paul's statement here, to live as Christ and to die as gain, he said this in his commentary. He says, uh, too often for us, it's for me to live as Christ plus work, leisure, accumulating wealth, relationships, etc. And if the truth were known, all too often the plus factor has become our primary passion. For to me, to live is my work. Both our progress and joy regarding the gospel are altogether contingent on whether or not Christ is our primary singular passion. Okay, so many of us, we want to be able to say this with, in, or with integrity, but we just can't. Christ is not our singular passion. We want him plus many other things. If you want the joy that Paul had, you need to have the same passion for Jesus that Paul had. And Paul's whole goal in life was to help other people have that passion. That's why he wanted to stay, was to help the Philippians have that passion. It says in verse 25, let's look at it one more time. It says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith. Okay, so his whole reason for staying in the body, even though he wanted to leave, was to help the Philippians increase their joy in the faith. That's what discipleship is. Like, be more joyful in Jesus and everything else will kind of take care of itself. He wanted to help them make Jesus their primary passion. And that's my prayer for our church. I'm praying that as we dig into Philippians, we would make progress and have joy in the faith just as Paul wanted for the Philippians. If we can get to a place where Jesus is our all-consuming passion, then we will make progress. And we will have this joy. We'll get a revival of joy when we have a revival of love for Jesus. 
Paul's joy was only possible because of his love for Jesus. That's the only way he was able to access that. I'm praying that God would give us Paul's heart. Lord, do it. Give us Paul's heart. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm praying that each of us would become like Paul who was like Jesus. In his letter to the Corinthians, he, he was so confident. He said this. He said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. All right, Paul. Well, we'll do that. We're going to try to imitate you. And that's what I want to do for the rest of our time. Just take a quick look at Paul's life and see what led to Jesus becoming his primary passion, right? There's no like 10 steps to, to uh, be passionate for Jesus, right? He has to do that in your heart, and we're gonna have time for that at the end. We're gonna actually end at the altar with several responses, but I wanna give you just a couple of things I noticed from Paul's life on how he was able to just desire Jesus so greatly, and I'm hoping it would kind of stoke up the fires of your heart. Okay, so uh, the first thing is Paul, he did not struggle to understand his sin. He did not struggle to remember what Jesus saved him from. Jesus saved Paul at his worst. He killed Christians. If you haven't killed Christians yet, you're doing all right. And Jesus, he redeemed him in the midst of that. Okay, so Paul was well aware of his sin and God's grace. In his letters, he repeatedly, it's like you can't help it, he he repeatedly reflects on that grace and what Jesus has saved him from. He says, I'm the worst of sinners. I'm the worst of all the apostles. Consistently, he remembers how sinful he is. So Jesus becomes our passion when we experience and continually remember his grace. If you're struggling to make Jesus your passion, maybe you need to realize the depths of your sin. Maybe you're thinking of yourself a little bit too highly than you ought to. If you want to love Jesus, you must remind yourself of what Jesus has saved you from. Without Jesus, you'd be dead, spiritually speaking. He saved you. If you're a follower of Jesus, and I recognize that in this room, there, there's gotta be some people who aren't followers of Jesus yet, and we're gonna have an opportunity for you to put your faith in Jesus, so I'm excited for that. But if you have put your faith in Jesus, like you need to know that, that Jesus has saved you from so much. I don't care if you've been following Jesus for 50 years or for 50 seconds, or he has saved you from so much. Do not forget what it's like to be lost. Don't forget what he saved you from. Here's the thing. You don't get saved from your sins by trying harder or by being spiritual or by measuring up to God. Instead, you get saved because you throw all your trust in someone who was perfect, who is perfect. Like you get saved because you throw all your trust in someone who paid your debt on the cross. Christ, to live is Christ, it's all him. It's all Jesus, right? You have no shot at being right with God without Jesus. You gotta remind yourself of that. If you're struggling to love Jesus, maybe you need a revelation of what he saved you from. Okay, the second reason that Paul was so stinking passionate for Jesus was he knew his purpose in Jesus. Jesus gave Paul a heavenly purpose. He called him to be a light to the Gentiles and to plant churches all over the world. Paul had a clear mission from God, and that kept the embers of his heart burning hot. Jesus becomes our passion when we live into our heavenly purpose. If you're struggling to find joy in Jesus, you may need to discover or rediscover your purpose in him. He has called you for a glorious purpose. Here's the thing, you are not put on this earth to accumulate stuff, be as comfortable as possible, and die. Instead, you were put on this earth to bring glory to God through the way you live your life, through the beauty you create, through the disciples you make, and through the love you give. And your life is all about Jesus. Only when you know that purpose will you be truly passionate for him. 
There should be fire in your bones because you have a heavenly mandate to go out to love the world and make disciples and bring God glory. That should put fire in you. Okay, finally, Jesus was so passionate, or not Jesus, Paul was so passionate for Jesus because he was continually filled with the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Okay, back in verse 19, Paul said that he would be delivered through the Philippians' prayers and through the help of the spirit of Jesus. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. In the Greek word, the word, or in the Greek language, the word for the help of the spirit is the supply of the spirit or the provision of the Spirit. So Paul's deliverance was uh, directly connected to the supply and the provision of the Holy Spirit in his life. He was confident that as they prayed for him, he would experience the empowering, uh, or the empowering work and filling of the Holy Spirit so that he would be able to stand for Jesus. Paul knew that he needed the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is not the crazy uncle, right? Someone's like, oh, I don't know about the Holy Spirit. He's not the crazy uncle. No, no, we need the Holy Spirit, right? When Jesus was preparing to leave the earth, he kept talking about the Holy Spirit over and over and over again because he knew we need the Holy Spirit. If we're gonna live for Jesus in these days, we need the continual supply of the Spirit of God in our lives. If we're gonna be passionate for Jesus and accomplish his purpose for us, we need the Spirit of God. Jesus becomes our passion when we walk with this Holy Spirit. If you want the joy that's found in Jesus, you need the Spirit of Jesus. I think about some of the last words that Jesus said to his disciples. He said this in Luke 24. He said, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So just days after giving the disciples these instructions, they waited, they, they prayed, and then they were baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two. And we see throughout the book of Acts that, that when disciples come to faith in Christ, they are, are repeatedly, like they come to faith in Christ and then they're prayed for that they might be baptized in the Holy Spirit because it's not just about salvation, it's about having power, right? You need this. The same experience that the disciples had in Acts chapter two, we need that as well. We need the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not just the baptism, but the filling, the, uh, the repeated filling of the Holy Spirit. Paul experienced this. So he comes to faith in Christ. Jesus appears to him on the road to, uh, the road to Damascus. He's blinded. And Jesus is like, I'm gonna blind you. You're being such goober. I'm blinding you for a little bit. <laughs> and then it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It says this in Acts 19. It says, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying hands on Paul, he said, brother Saul, uh, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight. And what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. He already knew Jesus. He already had come to faith in him. He needed to be filled with the Spirit of God. And Paul, he, he truly lived a life full of the Holy Spirit. It was not just about this experience in Acts 9. He continually was filled with the Spirit. He operated in the gifts of the Spirit. He, he prayed in the Spirit. He prayed in tongues. He depended on the Spirit. God revealed things to him only by the Spirit. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 3. The Spirit of God would reveal, or actually 1 Corinthians 2. The Spirit of God would reveal things to him and he was continually filled with the Spirit. Okay, so when writing to the Ephesians, who had already been baptized in the Holy Spirit, we see that in Acts chapter 19, Paul says this. He says, do not get drunk with wine. Okay, St. Patrick, say anybody? All right, anyways, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, what's he saying? He's actually saying, keep on being filled with the Spirit. That's what it means in the Greek. It's keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's not just about that one-time baptism in Acts 19. You need to keep on being filled. 
And this comes through prayer and through waiting on God, not trying to go do things without God. Instead, you wait for him and say, God, I, I need power from on high. And as we're filled with the spirit, we need to seek to pray in the spirit. I kind of mentioned that. Paul, I love what he says in 1 Corinthians 14. Okay, he says this in verse 18. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Some of you are like, what is tongues? That's a conversation for another day. But what I'll say is this. <laughs> I'd love to talk with you about that. We don't have time today. But, but the thing I'd love to say to you is this. Paul is a man of the spirit. Praying in tongues is praying in the spirit. Okay, so he's like, if that's like the way to pray in the spirit, I'm gonna speak in tongues as much as I can. And if you've received the gift of tongues already, you need to be praying in that. All right, here's your reminder, pray in the spirit. If you haven't received it, well, good news, God wants to give it to you. I'd love to pray with you for that, or the person would love to pray with you for that. But the important thing to know is Paul was a man of the Holy Spirit. He was fixated on more of the spirit in his life. If we want to be a people of the spirit, we must position ourselves in such a way that the spirit can have access to us. And this is why spiritual disciplines are so important. And these are habits or practices from the life or teachings of Jesus that open us up to more of the Spirit. Okay, so maybe like, hey, I wanna be filled with the Spirit. Well, position yourself in such a way to receive from the Spirit. Okay, these spiritual disciplines, they don't save you. It doesn't earn you brownie points with God. It's not like, hey, I read my Bible today. God loves me, I'm awesome. And then I don't read it tomorrow. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's so mad at me. That's not how it works. And say spiritual disciplines, you're not trying to earn something. Instead, you're trying to position yourself in God's presence. You're trying to, trying to kind of put your heart in a posture where you can receive from God and receive from the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so these spiritual disciplines, they include things like Bible reading, prayer, fasting, Sabbath, worship, giving, etc. If we want Jesus to become our passion, and if we want to have a desire to bring him glory, we need more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to position ourselves to receive from him. And we need to disconnect from the things of this world that distract us from Jesus and get connected to him through the spiritual disciplines. In just a moment, like I said, I wanna create space at the altar to lean into Jesus and to receive from him this morning. But it's not just about an encounter on a Sunday morning. Okay, like these encounters are great. I live for them, I love them. But it's not just about that. It's about a 24-7 lifestyle of being connected to the spirit. Say, so I'm gonna continually posture my heart towards the spirit and say, spirit, more of you, less of me. More of Jesus, less of me. It's about a continual posture before him. So Paul, he was able to be consistently passionate about Jesus and have joy in Jesus because he remembered what Jesus saved him from. He knew his purpose in Jesus and he was continually filled with the Holy Spirit, right? So grace, purpose, and filling, power, those three things amongst by several other things were the reasons why he was able to stay passionate for Jesus and as he was passionate for Jesus, as Jesus was the desire of his heart, he was able to have joy because his joy was not in the things of this world, but in someone who cannot be shaken. Paul oriented his entire life about Jesus. And then we complain that, that we don't have the same joy that Paul had when we don't orient our lives around Jesus at all. We need to orient our lives around Jesus. And when we do, this is when we'll have joy beyond the walls of this world. Joy is found in Jesus. That's the main idea this morning. Worship team, come on up. Joy is found in Jesus. Okay, so when I was a kid, and I would go to school, my mom would always stop me before leaving and say, don't let no one steal your joy, or don't let anyone steal your joy. And I would say, yeah, I'm not gonna let anyone steal my joy. And that was a good reminder for mama, thank you for that. But oftentimes, my joy would be stolen from me, right? Someone pick on me, or make fun of me, or I didn't do well on a test, or whatever, I would lose my joy. And I grew up in the church, I love Jesus from a young age. I, I feel like I've been saved like my whole life. But in high school, 
I had this season where I was really like trying to get joy from the things of this world. I, I, I had known the church, I'd grown up in it, like I said, I kind of knew what the church had to offer. I'm like, I'm gonna try some other things. And in that season, I was addicted to, let's say, to pornography, I was partying, I was doing things with girls I shouldn't have done. I was just trying to like find all my joy, my satisfaction in the things of this world. And I just, it just wouldn't fill me up. It just wouldn't provide what I thought it might be able to. And uh, after my senior year of high school, I came to this place where I'd done so much where I just felt like Jesus could never forgive me. It was the first time I really felt like the weight of my sin, right? Like I felt that he could never forgive me. Like I'd done so much that how could he love me? And in that moment, I experienced his grace. He, he spoke to me and he told me that there's nothing that I could ever do to separate myself from his love. And I can't explain it, but it was like a bonfire went off in my heart, like an explosion. Because I realized that the Christian life is not about trying to be better than your friends or trying to behave enough. It's not about going through religious rituals, but instead it's all founded on the fact that Jesus did everything that I couldn't do, that you couldn't do. Right? He, he lived the perfect life. He paid our debt. He, he did everything. Right? It's all on him. It's not on me. It's on him. Like, wow. Like the, like the weight of this, the, or the weight of trying to measure up, it's off my shoulders. It's on Jesus. It's all on him. My faith rests on him. And that forgiveness, that grace, it just kind of set me off. It's like, okay, I got to tell everyone about Jesus. I, I, I started to live in my purpose. And having a purpose that actually matters, it gives you joy, right? Like, hey, my life counts. My life matters. Like, I went to the campus of you and I as a student. And I got to tell everyone about Jesus. I don't know how to do it. I'm really shy. Don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to do my best, right? I just started trying to tell as many people as I could about Jesus. I started to live into my purpose. And that brought me joy. And then finally, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I still remember it like it was yesterday. It was October 1st of 2011. I was at a ball retreat, and uh, the speaker gave a simple call. He's saying, like, hey, if you just want more of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, come to the altar. And as I was praying, I felt like fire in my chest, like, what is happening right now? I began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave me utterance. I still pray in that same prayer language today, 12 years later. Right? And it's like, oh, the Holy Spirit can pray through me. The Holy Spirit can pray for things I don't know what to pray for. The Holy Spirit can build me up. And coming out of that experience, I began to say, I'm going to set aside time to be with Jesus every single day. Before I do anything else, I'm going to spend time with Jesus every single day. And only in the space of knowing what he saved me from, of knowing his purpose for my life, and being filled with the Spirit, have I actually been able to have joy that, hey, nobody can steal. Or no one can steal my joy because it's founded in Jesus Christ. It's founded in Jesus. And that's what Paul wants for us. That's what Paul wants for me. He wants that joy that, that nobody can steal. But if you're gonna get that joy, you gotta have that Jesus. If you're gonna get that joy, you gotta have that Jesus, right? Not the Jesus that you've created in your own head. Not the Jesus that's safe and you put him in a little box. No, the true Jesus in Nazareth. Christ in me, Christ beside me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left. Christ, you need him to live as Christ, to die as gain. If you want that, you gotta just make Jesus your whole life. So this morning, I just feel this urgency in my spirit. If you've been given Jesus half of yourself, it's time to give him the whole thing. And you will never regret it. It doesn't matter what this life takes from you. It doesn't matter what happens in this life. You will never regret putting your full hope in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the one who went in the grave and then he came back up out of it. He's the one that he loved you so much that he died for your sins on the cross, right? He's the one who loved you so much that after he left earth, he said, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of your heart. That Jesus, he is trustworthy. 
you're not gonna find life anywhere else. As long as you're trying to hold on to it, you're not gonna find it. But if you'll just let it go and surrender to Jesus Christ this morning, he will give you joy unspeakable, joy beyond your circumstances. All right, let's stand to our feet all across this room. Let's seek the Lord. Come on, come on. All right, so I'm gonna open the altars up. And, and you're gonna be like, what the heck? I have five ways to respond today. So go with me for just a second here. Okay, so the altars, they better be full this morning. The first thing is if you want to put your faith in Jesus this morning, or if you want to recommit your life to Christ, all you got to do is put your trust in him. There's no religious formula. There's no, like, boxes you have to check off, no classes you have to take. All you got to do is put your faith in him. And if that's you, I encourage you to come to the altar or go to the prayer team. Come to me. Come to someone uh, that's a leader in the church and just pray with us or pray with the person you came with. Right? So, so put your faith in Jesus. The second thing is if you need to experience the grace of Jesus Christ this morning, I pray that you come to the altar and experience the grace. Here's the thing, whenever you approach Jesus, right, whenever you approach Jesus in, in humility, he'll never shame you. Right? You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. He's not someone to, uh, to be afraid of in that sense. If you're coming to him with your sin and your junk and saying, Jesus, I'm just giving this to you, he's gonna welcome you with open arms. He's gonna give you a hug. Right, so if you need the grace of Jesus, I wanna encourage you to also come to the altar. The third thing is if you need to be ignited in your purpose for Jesus, today is your day. Come to the altar, let Jesus speak purpose into your life. Let him give you a vision. When I was baptized in the Holy Spirit on that day on October 1st of 2011, the Lord gave me a vision of the room we met in in Kyle for being filled up to maximum capacity with students giving it all for Jesus. That vision came to pass. He gave me purpose. It took five years for that vision to come to pass, but it did. And now today we're still standing on that vision as students at you and I are being ignited in love and passion for Christ. But it happened at the altar. Come to the altar. Let him give you purpose and vision beyond something you can come up with. All right, the next thing is if you need more of the Holy Spirit, I believe that Jesus could baptize you in the Holy Spirit this morning, right here in this service. It doesn't have to happen at some special event. It could happen right here, right now. Come to the altar, get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the last thing is if you just need to have joy in Jesus, get up to the altar. He's going to give you joy in his people. So let's bring the lights down. Let's pray. And as I'm praying, if you just want to start coming up to the altar right now, just get a place. I just really believe uh, that God has something for us this morning. Get a place to pray and let's seek him with these final moments. I'm going to pray as you come. So Lord, right now, I pray that you would stir us, Lord. Stir us to get out of our comfort zone. Stir us to, uh, uh, to make you the primary passion of our hearts. God, uh, we don't want to give you half. We want to give you everything. God, I pray for those that, that are coming up to the altar to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I pray that they'd be baptized in the Holy Spirit and they would speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. Lord, I pray for that. But for those that, that just need a vision of their purpose, God, I pray that you would give them visions and dreams that are beyond their wildest imagination. God, I pray for those who just need to experience your grace this morning. Grace on top of grace in Jesus' name. Come on, grace on top of grace. Lord, I pray for that. And, and finally, Lord, I just pray for those that just need joy. God, I pray for a revival joy. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's seek him. we got about 10, 15 minutes here. Let's seek the Lord. Let's give him everything we got. The prayer team's up here. If you need prayer, the altars are open.